HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID-19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening. podcast you'll ever hear because the world is ending uh, life's banquet with your hosts Zara Tangora and Nicole Bailey it's about all things edible spreadable and pourable and also opinions that are ours and do not represent the views of Heritage Radio Network <laughs> so yeah in case you guys are wondering all the opinions we've ever expressed on the show have been only ours only and especially today <laughs> This is in no way, um, a, we are not lobbying for any political party. We are just doing a show about a politician because we have a song in our heart and, you know, we're upset about the world. Yeah. I mean, so basically HRN has nothing to do with this. I mean, they are putting us on the air, but they don't express these opinions. They don't share these opinions. It's just like that disclaimer you see on TV right before something comes on. Like, it doesn't represent the views of... NBC or whatever. Right. Sorry, there's a microphone directly in front of your face. I couldn't <laughs> see you. And if I can't see you, I can't hear you. Right, because you're reading lips without your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are hearing this podcast um, on Tuesday, and we are recording a week early. But today we woke up on Wednesday, which I call forever now uh, Wicked Wednesday, the day <laughs> after Super Tuesday. <laughs> and we felt uh, upset. Um, we're glad that you know, Bernie performed in certain states well, but we felt upset because we felt blindsided and we wanted to talk about B. Sanders. Yeah, I didn't feel blindsided. I was surprised it had the percentages, but... Right, I felt blindsided. <laughs> I, felt, I felt used and abused. Um, yeah, I think that it's very obvious that people are very divided and that the democratic system itself is failing us and we should all get rid of the presidency altogether. Oh my God. Again, <laughs> HRN does not endorse this view. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a lot 
to handle. And we need more than a two-party system. This is just bullshit. It's all bullshit. And hopefully, the bright side is hopefully that even if Bernie doesn't win the nomination, we, people will wake up to the fact that we need to change the system. And it no longer serves us in any capacity. It really probably never did. But Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I don't know. I just felt disheartening for me for a variety of reasons. It, and, you know, my opinion really is that I don't dislike Joe Biden. I don't, you know, I, I think I texted this to you the other day. I'd be perfectly happy if he was my uncle or even my grandpappy. Um, <laughs> or if he was running in the year 2004. You know, I just feel like we're at a moment now where everyone has really accepted the fact that, <clears throat> well, actually, that's not true. A great number of people have accepted the fact that we need to move on to a different level of inclusion and a different level of, of just the way of life. Um, Medicare for all is very important to me personally and I think to a lot of folks. And uh, I don't think, you know, it doesn't feel right to me to have Joe Biden at this time. Um I'd gladly accept him as like my middle school principal or uh, if he wanted to donate some money to me to help me with my coronavirus hospital stay bills, which will be exorbitant <laughs> and will bankrupt me. Yeah, totally. So do you want to start? So we're just going to talk a little bit about Bernie, some food things, some not. Yeah. So I have pretty much no food items here. Um, the things that I wanted to talk about are the things that sort of inspired me to very early on support Bernie. And that is, first of all, hopefully you know this, but I guess a lot of people don't. Bernie's actually not a socialist. He doesn't want the government to run banks or make every car that's available to us. Um, Also, you benefit from socialism every single day that you drive on a road that taxpayers repaired or you go to a public school. That's Socialism, Right, or you get your mail. Stop freaking out about it. Or the fire department comes to your house, and you don't have to get charged a bill from them. Totally. So these, like, people who are so fearful of, quote-unquote, socialism or socialist ideals, you know, and collect and get their mail from their mailbox every day and drive on a road, but they're like, don't you goddamn dare give me health care. If I get cancer, I would like to just die peacefully. (laughs) And it won't be peaceful. Yeah. It'll be like that movie, Contagion. Um. (laughs) Contagious cancer. Um... Yeah, so that's just one thing to clear up. The other thing is that um, the system as it is right now, and even as it functioned over under Obama, is still wildly unequal and not fair to the majority of the population. So the working poor, people living in poverty, people suffering from mass incarceration, suffering from it, people who just exist in mass incarceration is an everyday part of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um the cost of healthcare and people who are homeless is just like a handful of things that I think of, but there's so many more. It's just inequality is all around us. It's basically part of what America has sort of been built on, and it's time for that to change. It doesn't make any sense. And so the whole thing for me is like voting for my interests. I'm a fairly middle-class person who doesn't have to worry about, as a white person, mass incarceration or poverty um because of some privileges that have been given to me because I'm white um or that are inherent in my life because I'm white and that means if I'm just voting for my own interests I'm not helping anyone so thinking about the people who are not you like voting just for your own interests doesn't really help society and I think now it's time for us to think of ourselves as a society instead of everyone just sort of clawing their way up as far as they can and then ignoring everyone else who can't even get up that far. Um, so that's just something that I think that Bernie represents. It's like you're voting for, not for you in your New York City apartment that costs way too much money, but you can still afford. You're voting for people who can't afford or people that have to work three jobs just to make a living wage. People like that need our help. Yeah. You know, it's really difficult because of the capitalist values in this country to get people, because capitalism is inherently tied to selfishness. You know, it really is. Yeah. The selfishness is the backbone of capitalism, in, in essence. And it's very difficult, I think, to get folks to care, to truly care. And, you know, I know plenty of people who are, quote, liberal people, and actually liberal, you know, like have liberal values. But when it really comes down to inconveniencing themselves or having to put themselves out there in a way where they don't want to or doing something that makes them go 10 steps out of their way, they don't always 
you know, step up to the plate. And well, like, I'm not even asking them to do anything except for vote. Like, that's very yeah. low, low energy. Right. Well, I know, but I think there's, there's people who will just... I, I think part of the predicament, though, just is that people who, in essence, believe as liberals uh, or left-wing, left-leaning people um, in everything that you're you're saying that we're talking about and that we are aligned with in our values, um, but when push comes to shove, uh, sometimes literally, I think that it's very hard to get people to to really walk the walk. You know what I mean? Sure. I just think that also everyone should stop reading the New York Times and the neoliberal near the neoliberal I can't even say it neoliberal because I didn't go to an Ivy neoliberal League college <laughs> and you never will because you're not smart enough just getting you are um I'm plenty smart enough I just can't <laughs> afford it um and that is why I like Bernie Sanders and I'm not living in a glass house yeah um where I don't acknowledge that class exists and I don't acknowledge that I'm rich because to me making two hundred thousand dollars a year doesn't seem rich because I'm Actually, in New York, that's a middle-class thing to do. So people are just like, they're like, no, class doesn't exist. I can't be part of the problem. I work for the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Michael Barbaro. I'm Michael Barbaro. Um, no, it, it's it's really tough. I was listening to something the other day. I can't remember what it was. It was some podcast, and they were implying that um, with the college admission scandal that they shouldn't necessarily penalize them and send them to jail or anything. They should just make that the new way of actually getting into college. That if you are a millionaire, you just pay a ton more money. <laughs> yeah, but they should pay to the college. Right. So that I don't have well, to, yes. yeah. You pay to the college, but you just, you know, that'll be our new structure. So if your kid is actually kind of dumb and you want them to get into Harvard or UCLA, you just have to pay like $10 million to yeah, get them in. And they can basically admit the rest of this class without them paying. Exactly. That sounds great. I know. I really liked it. I was like, that's smart. Like, if you're rich, and but not so smart, just come on in anyway. <laughs> Lord knows so many others have. <laughs> Join the ranks of George W. Bush <laughs> and Donald Trump. <laughs> Did he go to Harvard? No, he went to, what is the good school in Pennsylvania? Not, it's University know. of Pennsylvania and then... UPenn? He went to whatever is the, the Ivy Dartmouth? League one. <laughs> <laughs> he went to... Uh, What's the, like, college that you see advertisements Sarah for? Sarah Lawrence. No, the ones that <laughs> you see, like, advertisements to on TV. I don't know. Trump University. Oh, okay. He <laughs> was the first graduate. I mean, you got to hand it to him. Making a fake university is actually very lucrative, and so... Yeah. I'm all for scammers. I, I support them. Me too. I'm pro-Trump now. <laughs> make, make a buck any way you can. Um, yeah. And the other thing is, too, is that I didn't even mention, which is kind of crazy, is that people that work in the service industry are marginalized, too, as, like, people that, you know, it actually basically is one of the last middle-class jobs available, and people still don't consider that kind of work, like, equal. Right. It's true. It does. They don't. And, I mean, that's a whole other podcast and a whole other issue, but um, it's true. It's a thankless job in a lot of ways. It's, you know, looked down upon, and really it's just a job, and it's a great job, and it's a necessary job. Um, isn't it that, like, most people in the service industry, I can't, I don't have the figure in front of me, but, like, a really high number of service industry folks are Bernie supporters, like 75% or something. A, a large number are, but yeah. I don't know, I don't know the numbers. Either, yeah. But we saw in Nevada that, you know, that definitely seemed to be the case. Right. Um, the other thing that I have a little bit more info on is student loan debt. And I feel like if you're not, if you don't think that student loan forgiveness is a thing that we should work on, then that means that you can afford to pay your student loan. Right. And, and that's when you need to stop and take a look around you and think about people who are actually struggling because they can't afford to pay their student loan debt. And it costs on average $30,000 per year to go to school in a, at a college in New York City, or in New York City, in the United States of yeah. America, um, which is twice as much as any other developed country. Yeah. Um, there's no reason for it. It's a bunch of different things all adding up to that, but there's, it's not because housing is so expensive and it's not because of inflation. It's be, There's plenty of things that we could do to make school not cost as much as it does today. And... I pay $350 a month in student loans every single month, which is a significant portion of my income. And my sister pays $700 a month, which is a huge portion of her income. That's crazy. And I have a friend who just got out of law school. Granted, she chose to go to law school, but she 
would be paying $2,100 a month on her loans if she wasn't enrolled in the loan forgiveness program. Well, good that she... So that brings me to a point that I wanted to make about student loans is like, good that she went to law school. How how terrible it is that like, imagine how many, how much better this country could be. You want to talk about making yeah. things great ever. Um, how much better this country would be if we allowed people the opportunity to get a higher education, what people would, how people would be able to flourish, how they would be, you know, there's this ideology in this country of this very ancient trope of picking yourself up by your dusty bootstraps and working hard. And like, you know what, unfortunately, like that's actually just not always enough. Yes. There are some people who can just really, you know what I mean? Put the nose to the grindstone, but like, there's a lot of people who just can't afford to go to college, can't afford healthcare, can't afford to do anything except for just kind of get by day by day and take care of their parents. Well, it's like there's other members of society who we have created structures that push them down. So right. like 60% or 40%, a large number of African-American people live in poverty. Right. Um, and that's something that, you know, dates back to the beginning of time in this country. Like yeah. we have built the wealth of this country on the shoulders of marginalized people and if you are where you are right now you didn't get there by yourself you know when Bloomberg was running people were saying that you know he's always like I worked so hard for my billion dollars fuck him he didn't he his workers worked hard for his money and they make significantly less than he does hey here's the really basic bottom line thing I think just to consider is that every single person that's alive in this world uh, obviously barring totally horrendous murderers but you know (laughs) uh, decent people um, which is most people deserve to have a good life, you know. Deserve- well, it's basic human rights, right? Yeah. You deserve to have a home. You deserve to have a home. It's not even that you deserve it; it's a human right. Yes, so exactly. Even if you cheated on your wife, I still believe as a human being you get to have a home. Exactly, a hundred percent. And like, I think we can really lose sight of that. Uh, some people more easily than others when you're thinking about your bottom line, your taxes, your school district, your whatever. You know, uh, it's important to remember that everybody's life. And the value of that life is equal. Everybody's. And everybody does, in in fact, uh, deserve basic human rights. And I think healthcare is a basic human right. Yeah. Housing is a human right. I think that it should be a right in this country to go to college and get an education and to get a good education in the school that you're currently at. And, you know, elementary school, high school level education is terrible in a lot of places. Uh, clean drinking water is a human right. A clean environment <laughs> is a human right. Yeah. And just, you know, I don't know. I mean, if you're a person of privilege, even though everyone's life can be hard, even if you are privileged, just think about for a second that, like, everybody deserves some goodness. And there's so many people out there that have none. Like, none. And that's terrible, and it's not fair, and we can do something about that. You know what I mean? I think most people are actually probably not even monsters who don't care about poor people, but they're just afraid of not being electable. But Joe Biden is just a real step backwards and I don't think that we should be going backwards and it is frustrating that we have to choose between two white men in their 70s yeah. to figure out what we're to fight against another white man in his 70s um, <clears throat> but the other thing is to try not to lose hope because I was listening to this really cool podcast today and they were like political elections are just one arm of the things that we believe can make a difference. And so, you know, at the end of the day, if Joe Biden ends up getting elected, fine. We, that's not the end of the story. And you don't, you need to actually get in the ground and do something and donate money and help in lots of other ways that don't have anything to do with presidential elections, which yeah, at the end of the day, don't make that much difference anyway. What podcast was that? I have a whole list of podcasts. Oh, great. Do you want to rattle them off now or at the end of the show? I'll do it at the end. I have like a read, do, listen to list. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium to galas in the renovated Palm House and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. 
You can also enjoy brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lily Pool Terrace. Executive chef Sarah Flynn's unique menu includes modern dishes with global flavors with a focus on local and seasonal ingredients. And we're back. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that Bloomberg, I spent millions and millions of dollars trying to buy the election because it seemed like Joe Biden had gotten so weak. And I just thought that he could spend all of his money stopping the coronavirus. If you pile up a billion dollars on top of itself, <laughs> it won't be able to, like, the, the virus can't penetrate it. Yeah, you make like a wall. Or if you squish it, like if you see the virus and you just squish it you with throw a billion money on dollars. Top of yeah. It. <laughs> You hear that, Bloomberg? We need your money. I think that that's the that's the best way. Just throw it right at the virus. Literally, in throw the it at face. the virus. Yeah, yeah. get out of it. Take that. <laughs> Whap. I'm just kidding. Like, money is very dirty. Don't touch it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that the other day. I was like, I haven't used any paper money in a while, and I feel happy about that. I live on paper money. I'm doomed. Your bed is made of paper money. You just like <laughs> fill your sheets with it at night. Mm-hmm. Don't tell the robbery. Okay, I have a couple of just things to. In, as an interlude, uh, just about food, so we kind of somehow tie it into this episode into food. But that I was like looking through, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to just include anything. But these actually made me laugh. And okay. I'm like, well, maybe we could have like a little laugh at this. I guess so. Okay. In a brief <laughs> interview with People Magazine, Bernie Sanders said that scrambled eggs are his go-to breakfast, <laughs> and it made me smile thinking Very about nice. him just eating a little pile of scrambled eggs. <laughs> Cute. I mean, he should watch his cholesterol, but he should. Maybe he's only doing egg whites. You better not be adding salt. No, no, of course not. (laughs) (laughs) And you too, Dad, you hear that? (laughs) They're together. (laughs) Um, He loves tomatoes and avocados, according to the Washington Post. Hmm. He loves to grill, which I also think is adorable. I wonder if he grills his scrambled eggs. Probably not. Just fall right through the grates. Um, he eats pork chops on the campaign trail, which made me worry very much about his heart. Stop and that. Pork is fine. Why does everyone love pork chops so much? I have no idea. I don't like them at all. Him and Bill Clinton are just like sitting, kicking back. <laughs> like <laughs> It's a food of people in their 70s. That's true. Well, I'll just, I'll just give me a pork chop. Um, the New York Times article uh, recently written by Lynn Vaverick, uh, it was entitled Bernie Sanders, How Indian Food Can Predict Choice, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and then, uh, so the article talks about how, uh, exit polling, they were asking people questions more like when's the last time you went out for Indian food Mm. rather than, you know, what is your income? What's your education level? And they were able to predict, um, Bernie, like Bernie supporters and Biden supporters like more easily by just like, you know, their eating habits. Because Poor people order Indian food more? No, because a lot of people are college students who lived in, like, more metropolitan areas who have had, like, exposure to going to, like, and were just more willing to branch out and be diverse. So it was, like, 70% of Bernie voters said they'd eaten uh, at an Indian restaurant <laughs> in the past year. They and ate at the restaurant? I know. And only, this was not in New York City. And only 30% <laughs> of Biden supporters said that they had eaten Indian food out, which I just thought was interesting. They probably don't have as delicious of Indian food restaurants in wealthy suburban areas. That's true. But I also just think it's kind of interesting because obviously most Bernie supporters are younger people, people, people of color, people in the restaurant industry, whereas like most Biden supporters are white people between like 45 and 70. Well, not in the South. That's true. That's a good point. I guess I'm thinking mostly of white people. And uh, their dislike of Indian food. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. So there is also a Bernie Sanders ice cream flavor. What is it? There was one that Ben and Jerry's made a while ago, and then they made another one in 2019 called Bernie's Back. It was created by Ben Cohen, one of the owners of Ben and Jerry's, for his private label, which I didn't know existed, called Ben's Best. So Ben and Jerry don't own Ben and Jerry's anymore. I know. That must be why they're doing this like private label. Cool. Ben's best <laughs> thing. It's like actually Ben and Jerry's. Um, it's a hot cinnamon ice cream with one very large chocolate disc on top. Ew. Um, and very stiff butter toffee backbone going down the middle. It sounds horrible. I don't know. I think it sounds interesting. But so Hot the, cinnamon? Like red hot cinnamon? I have no idea. But so the description explains the symbol of, symbolism of each component. The chocolate disc represents all the wealth <laughs> that has risen to the top 1%. <laughs> the backbone represents Bernie's steadfast determination and uh, to unring our economy. And the hot cinnamon ice cream is our political revolution holding politicians' feet to the fire to make a work, America work for people of all races and genders. Okay. Well... 
Do you know why those freaks at Ben and Jerry's make their ice cream so chunky and weird? It's because one of them can't taste anything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like the chunks, though. I'm pro-chunk. <clears throat> okay. I want everything smooth. No, I'm just kidding. I actually like chunks. So I'm going to just read some things that are straight out of the Bernie Sanders website. Okay. Because they are <laughs> really good at describing some of the things we really want to know about. I want to read some things about Bernie Sanders from Joe Biden's website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so Bernie Sanders smells. <laughs> Nobody wants to sit with him at the lunch table. <laughs> He's married to his cousin. <laughs> um, he doesn't change his underwear. Okay. So BernieSanders.com, this is why he's running for president. I'm running for president so that when we are in the White House, the movement we build together can achieve economic, racial, social, and environmental justice for all. Just because a lot of people probably don't read Bernie Sanders' website. And also, <laughs> I... I in my phone banking, mm-hmm. I do a lot of phone banking. I've phone banked for Bernie. I've phone banked for various other candidates in the past. And one thing that's always interesting and surprising to me is that a lot of people don't really know anything about the candidate. They go based on, yeah. especially in the primaries, right? So when you're getting into like presidential election, of course, a bit more. But a lot of people are going on just like, oh, like tons of people are like, oh, he's crazy. He's got that crazy hair, you know, or like. Sure. Oh, I like, you know, Pete Buttigieg because he's so small. <laughs> and he is gay. But a lot of people like liked Pete Buttigieg because they thought because he was gay, he was also very liberal. And he, he is wa- a liberal. He's a neoliberal. They right. must be killed. But he was not very liberal. He wasn't very, you know, he wasn't truly a liberal. And anyway, so I'm, what I'm trying to say is that a lot of people don't actually know much about Bernie at all. So that's what I'm going to try sure. to talk about. Um The thing that I align most with about Bernie's platform and I feel most passionately about is Medicare for All. Um, I feel passionately about it for a variety of reasons. It's something that I believe in for a community, uh, aside from the point that I've had an experience with a very sick person who um, would have just died if not for... uh, So my dad had cancer for 10 years and his he didn't have insurance. He just had basic basic Medicaid, which didn't cover his uh, chemo stuff. Um, and his medication for his chemo, uh, cost over a million dollars a year. Yeah. He ended up getting a grant, um, for it, which is really lucky. A grant for... From North Carolina. The state gave a grant for the, uh, medication. Well, the medication shouldn't even cost that much. I mean, that's a huge problem in itself. Why would medication cost motherfucking a million dollars a year? Who has a million dollars to pay to live? The people that made the medication. It's insane. The whole thing's so sick. But anyway, it's one reason why Medicare for, it's just something, it's a personal way in which it, it has touched me. And I know it has touched a lot of people. I don't have health insurance really at this point. If something happened to me, I'd be in a lot of trouble. A lot of my friends are the same way. A lot of people that I know in this community are the same way. Um, We had a very close friend whose husband, who's also our good friend, got uh, the flu, turned into pneumonia. He spent weeks in the hospital, almost died, came out with a huge medical bill and had to declare bankruptcy. This happens to people all the time. Yeah, there's people that everyone, every person that you see, one of them probably has crippling medical debt. Yeah, it's really horrible. Uh, through no fault of their own. Horrible. Another great friend of ours who used to work at Brucey had to have open heart surgery just to live and ended up with an insane situation, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. When I was in my own accident, I was uninsured. I happened to be luck out because I was on my parents' car insurance as an occasional driver. So I was insured, but if I hadn't been, I would have had over a half million dollars in medical bills myself. It's crazy. So, you know, so this is it's again, crazy, but it's actually not crazy at all. That's the world that we live in yeah. right now. And with coronavirus coming, like people going to the hospital with coronavirus won't be able to, like, we're just like, you yeah. can't handle an epidemic like this because no one actually has any health insurance. Right. It's disgusting. It's really, really terrible. Um, so this is from Bernie Sanders' website. Today, more than 30 million Americans still don't have health insurance. 30 million people don't have health insurance and even more are underinsured, which is a huge problem mm-hmm. with Obamacare. Um, you know, I respect that we made a move in the right direction with Obamacare. Unfortunately, insurance companies are making more profits than ever with this current uh, system. And it's just not, it's not where it needs to be. I, I respect the incremental change and it is better than nothing. We have to kill the insurance companies and burn them to the ground. Yeah, it's really it's really <laughs> fucked up. Uh, even for those with insurance, costs are so high that medical bills are the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United in the United States. Incredibly, we spend significantly more on our national GDP um, 
on this inadequate healthcare system, far more per person than any other major country. And despite doing so, Americans have worse health outcomes and higher infant mortality rate than countries that spend much less on healthcare. Our yeah. people deserve better. Also, the hospitals will sue people who owe them money. There's yeah. a couple of hospitals that recently have decided to stop doing that, but it is the traditional practice to take someone to court. Yeah, it's horrifying. Unpaid medical bills. Here's the thing to remember about you're paying if, if even if you have Obamacare and you're paying into, you know, the the ACA is that your private insurance company doesn't want to pay your medical bills. That is the crux of this whole issue. They don't want to pay. So they will try every way not to pay. And the more help you need, the less they want to help you. Yeah. So this profit, like people making a profit off of your health care and the ability for you to get treatment, they should not ever exist. They should not coincide. It makes no sense. It's like trying to brush your teeth with a plun- toilet plunger. It's Ew. not the right utensil. Too big. You know, but really, <laughs> samesies. It's, if you think about it like that, if you think about that, you're paying tons of money each month to a system that doesn't want to help you. They want to do everything in their power to not help you. They will gladly watch you rot and die. So when you're thinking about, this wacky guy wants my ha- me to have health care, I mean... You should have health care. I want it. I want everybody that I see on the street who's a stranger to me to have it. I want everyone in my family to have it. Yeah. I, you know, I waited for uh, over two years to go to the doctor and check out a mole that I had that, like, could have been cancerous and kind of joked it off because I was like, well, if it is cancer at this point, I don't really have the money to, like, do anything about it. And, you know, I'm, I hope, I didn't even call and get my results yet, actually, because I'm worried that if it is, I'm not going to be able to afford it. I mean, it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. It's terrible. It makes me sick. Um, so, but you shouldn't get sick. Don't get sick. Don't touch. <laughs> wash your goddamn hands. Um, so, Bernie wants to create quote a Medicare for all single payer national health insurance program to provide everyone in America with comprehensive health care coverage, free at the point of service. No networks. No premiums. No deductibles. No copays. No surprise bills. Um. So I wanted to also just read something. I was then looking up stories about uh, people who have horror stories with dying because they couldn't afford to be sick. And this was from a quick thing from a Bustle um, article. It was a compilation of different people's stories. In 2017, um, Morgan Brinke was the person who compiled the article and put it together. It was in response to, I believe, a congressman who said that nobody ever died from not being able to afford health care. So these were people responding to him. Twitter user Denny Ware says, my mother is dead because she couldn't afford the cancer screening she was told to get every year. She had breast cancer once, uh, only to have come back years later. She was a full-time nurse. Her husband was disabled, and she had two teen sons. She had to choose between screenings and taking care of us. She chose us. Can't have been money for both. We also lost our home in 2008. She collapsed at Thanksgiving, went back to Texas, and died January 10th, 2010. I didn't get to say goodbye. She was 46 years old. Her sons were 18 and 16. She died of poverty in the wealthiest nation on earth. My story isn't even unique. It happens to countless people every year and will continue at an increasing pace until something drastic changes. Her name was June Bradford Dowdy. She was my mother. I miss her every day, so my children never have to feel like this. Medicare for all. So I just wanted to read that because we should always remember that there's millions of stories like this. This happens to people every single day and it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And I don't understand why people think that it's okay to just go the slow way in. Yeah. Time's over. You know, our friend Becky um, said something today. She texted Adam, her boyfriend, and Adam posted the text on his Instagram, which was really sweet. And he was like, I'm so proud to have a partner who thinks like this. And I'm just going to paraphrase. But she was basically like, she said this thing that was like very powerful. She was like, we need to believe that we deserve a bold, brave candidate like Bernie Sanders. We need to believe that we deserve that and not that we just have to settle for whatever is available. And to like truly yeah. have that confidence in ourselves going into the voting booth and not just saying, well, it it just has to be better than Trump. Well, it can be better than Trump and it can be really good. 
You know, we could actually give ourselves these things that are basic human rights ourselves and our neighbors and friends and all these people who we don't know who need us. No one should ever, I mean, no one should ever live in a scenario like that. Like what the story I just read. That's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And if there we, should also be no billionaires. It's just yeah. the way that the world is right now is sickening. And yeah. I hopefully, like I said, even if Bernie doesn't make it, this hopefully is going to be a wake up call for people to pay more attention to the world around them and to listen to people that aren't like them and to hear stories from people who have had a completely different experience than theirs. And you have a responsibility to do that um, as a person of privilege, I feel like. Absolutely. 100. <clears throat> and so a lot of people ask, you know, some of the naysayers ask, how is Bernie going to pay for all this? Um, you He's can, not going to pay for it all. Of course. You can also check out uh, the proposed plans on his website, um, berniesanders.com. Uh, there's a lot of information. I'm not going to rattle it off now, but basically it all stems from taxing the rich, from taxing corporations and companies. Um, we can get trillions of dollars from corporate taxes, from people who are the from top taxing 1%. Amazon. Absolutely. When these people do not pay taxes. They don't. It's crazed. And yet there's people like this person, the story I just read, who just dies at 45 years old because they can't afford to get screened for breast cancer. Yeah. And Jeff Bezos doesn't pay taxes. Please explain. Please explain. <laughs> well, I can't explain. They tried to go after him and the IRS, and they realized that they didn't have the manpower, so they gave up. Yeah. That's literally what happened. Yeah. So I like what you're saying about not giving up hope because I woke up this morning not giving up hope, but just feeling like, you know, if this didn't happen, then, like, what are we going to do? We're screwed. Um, we're all out of options. And it is really good to remember that it is bigger than one person. The movement is about moving towards social justice and change. And, you know, there are so many things that have been so defeating in the past couple of years, in the past four years since Trump was elected, um, that have given us a reason to feel defeated. But there are, you know, choices we can make each day from like small choices, like not using a plastic bag, which are illegal now. Oh my God. I experienced that today, actually. (laughs) To big choices, (laughs) like washing your hands before you, um, mush your hand into someone's mouth after you've coughed in with the coronavirus. (laughs) Um, no, but seriously, there's donating money. There's getting involved in local government and local politics, which is really important. And you know, this is how we feel. This is like our opinion and what we think is right. But I think being engaged about something and believing in something is important. Yeah. You know, we can't tell you what to believe in. And in fact, we shouldn't because you're talking about having, you know, a political system that is not a two-party system, which would really only be possible if people actually did have a really varied belief base, you know, different ingredients of different beliefs and different people and parties that wanted to kind of bring that forward. So Yeah, it's just, it's crazy that we've gotten to this point. Um, But if you take a moment to look around, if you are a person of privilege, at how you got to where you are, I'm pretty sure you didn't do it on your own. Absolutely. I also just want to mention quickly in wrapping up uh, a bit about the insurance companies is that um, profits of insurance companies last year were upwards of $25 billion. So think about that. I do. It's a lot of money. <laughs> um, and then I was kind of interested in when this all started happening. So this is a lot. When did healthcare become for profit? I didn't realize this, but Nixon signed it into law the Health Maintenance Organization Act of 1973, in which medical insurance agencies, hospitals, clinics, and even doctors could begin functioning as a for-profit business entity instead of the service organizations they were intended to be. So thank you, Nixon, for that, and amongst <laughs> other wonderful things that you've done for this country. He's not a crook. He, <laughs> he is not a cook either, as oh. we learned previously. Are you reaching for something over there? Yeah, I have to get my phone. Okay, cool. Nicole's going to make a quick call. I just have to make a phone call to President Nixon. Nixon, hello, it's me, Nicole. Um, so we had, I guess, on our, we were talking about Chef Recommends today, and I, we were thinking about just different things to recommend that you can do to get involved in the political process. And I'm going to go ahead and say um, talking to your friends and family is yeah. my thing. I feel like that's really important. Um, as I mentioned before, like I phone bank a lot, and I have mixed feelings about phone banking. I do it because I do get through to people now and then, and I want to participate and feel like I'm able to actually chat with people. Um, I do worry sometimes, on the flip side, that it is an annoyance to people, like being called, and if they're not, and I wonder if like more, how many people are annoyed by it and turned off versus how many people you engage with. You know what I mean? 
But I think talk, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't phone bank at all, <laughs> but um, I think that engaging with folks that you know, who will, you can have their ear for a little mm-hmm. bit. Like today I wrote a mass text to my whole family. We're on like a 16 person group chat. And I was just like, told them my spiel. Obviously I love them no matter what, but I wish they would go this way. My whole family is quite liberal, but I don't know that they're all voting for Bernie. Yeah. So my, my chef recommends is about talking to people. That's cool. Um, mine is I have some things to do to read to listen. Basically just, just, I'm not even saying you have to go out and be super involved if you're really busy or whatever, but there you could start reading things that are made for others besides you and you could start looking at some websites and listening to some podcasts really the best to start for me was listening to podcasts and I feel like that is sort of a double-edged sword because you can get so wrapped up in the podcast and not actually do anything but I think it's really helpful to hear uh, things from a different perspective so I have a couple of podcasts that I think are great because they're they're not even all lefty but they're just like from people that are different from my experience. So the first one is The Tea with Queen and Jay, which is two black women who kind of talk about things up that are of interest to them. Um, and they have a section that's called, like, Give Black Women Your Money, where they talk about someone that's a black woman that's an owner of a business or even just, like, needs some help. And it's just, it's really cool. It's actually really fun nice. to listen to. Um, there's also the Trillbilly Workers Party, which is a couple of Southerners who are left-leaning. Um, they have very strong Southern ac- accents, which <laughs> is amusing to me. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> but they are not, they're not, you know, super conservative. So their way of looking at things is really interesting, I think. And also it sort of goes against the idea that everyone in the South is like a certain type of way. Yeah. Um, there's another one called Bag Ladies. These are two women from the Bronx who are Afro-Latinas, what, what, Latina, Afro, I'm sorry, I'm probably saying that wrong. And that's just, it's another one where they're just kind of like talking about normal stuff. Like, uh, for some reason, almost all the podcasts I was listening to recently are talking about Love is Blind, which I will never watch. But No, no. It seems really very good for the earth. And also, for the record, I'm not going to never watch it because I'm a snob um, about TV at all. I just cannot watch reality TV without feeling so sorry for the people involved that I want to cry. <laughs> it's true. Um, some other stuff that I listen to is Jacobin, Jacobin Radio. Um, it has a whole bunch of podcasts. Um, there's Pod Damn America, which is hilariously anti-Pod Save America, the uh, most neoliberal podcast that there is. It has billions of followers. Um and there's Champagne Sharks, which I think I've mentioned before, which is two black gentlemen in L.A. kind of just, like, talking about their experiences. And they have um, a lot of really interesting things to say and a lot of perspectives that actually have really opened my eyes to things. Um, black Agenda Radio is really funny. That The way that it's, like, set up, I think, is very kind of amusing. But they actually turned me on to a couple of... Not like charities, but like networks of things. Um, and they have they have interviews with really cool people on there. And then Citations Needed, which is a podcast that can be very dry at times, but is basically talking about how the media is not unbiased and how that people, the media tends to sort of sway things one way or the other um, based on their political leanings and the fact that they're all pretty much owned by billionaires. Um the other things that you can read are you can subscribe to Current Affairs. The Baffler is one that I kind of like a lot. Um, the Center for Public Integrity is a publication that um, is basically out there to sort of also look at media and make sure that things that are being reported are not leaning one way or the other. The Intercept is great. I know someone who writes for them, but just to let you guys know. <laughs> um <laughs> But we're not that close, so it's fine. Um, There's a couple of organizations that I think are top of mind for me right now. The first one is the Dollar Bail Brigade. So a lot of people, I just signed up for this, um, but because I have actually a little bit more free time than your average person. But um, essentially, there's plenty of people who are being held on dollar bail, and they don't either, it's not communicated to them, or they actually don't have anyone who can come down and pay their bail for them because the process of paying bail is actually many hours long. And so in order for someone to take off work 
to just sit around the bail office is not possible for everyone. So anytime that someone is held on a dollar bail, you'll get a call, you sign up for days that you're available, and they'll send you to whichever jail is closest to you because you can pay someone's bail at any jail. It doesn't have to be the one that they're being held in. And you pay their bail for them, which is $1. And Do you get to know what they're being held on nope. bail for? Nope, because the whole process is that the mass incarceration is what we're fighting, right. and um, the point is is that people should be presumed innocent and not guilty, right. and so they shouldn't be held for months in jail regardless of what happened. Sure. Um, so there's that one. There's also the Coalition for the Homeless. You know, there are 200 and some thousand people that are homeless in New York City alone. Um they're just need they need our help they anything that you can do to even educate yourself about homeless people and how they end up that way and how simple it is for people living paycheck to paycheck to lose their homes um there's stoppoliceterror.org which is a similar anti-mass incarceration organization um there's the poor people's campaign they first marched on washington in 1968 um, but they are also marching on Washington again, I think, in a couple of weeks. Hooray. And then there's the Working Poor Families Project, which is doing some really cool stuff um, in New York and also across the country. Amazing. Wow, that's re- some amazing resources yeah. and podcasts. And Write all, all that down. <laughs> well, or you can just rewind. Um, or rewind. It's uh, permanent. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, like, in closing, just again to remind everyone... These are just our opinions. We're not telling you who to go out and vote for. We're just doing a show on something we're interested in, and our opinions and views do not reflect that of Heritage Radio. Um, But I want to live in a better world. I think it's actually as simple as that. I want to live in a better world, and I want a better world for uh, generations to come, as long as this place is not actually physically all on fire and we're all (laughs) able to exist. The oceans turn to boiling lava. Until bats start, you know, taking over. Uh, yeah, we didn't even start talking about climate change, but you can just do a Google search and you'll know what we're talking or about. Or you could just walk outside. It's February and it's quite warm. It's um, March. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, it feels like February in Australia. <laughs> um, you know, this wasn't a funny episode. I know it's uh, starkly different than the belly laughing that you're probably normally <laughs> used to doing. I'm sorry that you had to sit down to your meal <laughs> for this non-food related podcast. <laughs> Um, at least you didn't throw up. But thanks for <laughs> listening. And I think that, you know, we felt compelled to just um, to do something. You know, we just felt a certain way and we just felt compelled to say something and do something. We have a very little platform. We have one listener and we hope that we have yeah. <laughs> affected that one listener. And we're aware that we're two white ladies screaming into the void, too. And that's yeah. something that is not not noticed by us. But yep. I think that also has informed some of the reasons why I'm just pushing so hard for us to like be aware of the people around us. And I'm not saying you have to go out and like volunteer in a homeless shelter, but there's so much else you can do. And honestly, just being more informed is the first step. Absolutely. Right. So whatever this way, this election goes, whatever way you vote, um, you know, we all have a voice and we all have some type of way to have, make a create action. And some people really actually, I guess, have very limited ways to do that. And we need to, if you have more opportunity and more privilege, um, more time, more resources, it's, I really feel like our responsibility to use that, to be able to kind of speak up and, um, and represent for people who don't. Yep. You know, we're lucky and, uh, you know, whatever you choose, choose hope and choose, um, community because it's not just about us. That's right. Um, thanks for listening to this very serious episode. <laughs> no, seriously, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day to listen to something that maybe you were hoping was funny and turned out to be kind of serious. But uh, yeah, also I think the other thing is phone making surprised me. I was scared of it because um, it is kind of weird to talk to strangers yeah. on the phone. But I think this is something that most people experience if they actually go out and interact with people politically, and it's almost always a positive experience. Like, yeah. There is no, like, overarching, like, way that people think. Everyone has is, like, an individual, but typically if you interact with them one-on-one, they're very kind. Totally. Um, there's some people that hang up. A couple people are wacky, but those people <laughs> are out of your life forever after you hang up the phone. And 
you know, when I'm phone banking. Like, do they ask you what you're wearing or something? No, they're just like, <laughs> fuck that and fucking fuck. Like, they don't like the people. The kind oh, of the about Bernie yeah. Sanders? Exactly. <laughs> it happened a lot with Hillary. Um, yeah. Um, so anyway, but. Uh, well, she loves bad free chocolate. <laughs> that's true. She does. Um, <laughs> but what I always think about phone banking or interacting with folks is that even if, like, I you know, I rarely get to the point with them where I'm like, okay, so are you actually going to vote for Bernie? It's that like, I've been talking to them. I don't always ask them who they're voting for. I really try to read the conversation and read the person because some people seem more buttoned up and I just try to be nice. And I try to offer, I say, Hey, I'm a stranger, but I'm a volunteer because I really believe in this cause and this person for these reasons. And, um, I try to leave them with a positive impression because a lot of people are undecided. And so as long as like I'm leaving them with a positive impression, then perhaps they actually have more time on their own, even if they don't want to spend time on the phone with me to go and Google the person that I'm advocating for or to like stop and read that article. And then maybe they tell their friend, Oh, actually I read about this candidate that I didn't know much about before. And I thought was a bozo. You know what I mean? It's, Mm -hmm. it's more infectious than the coronavirus. Yeah. So, you know, whatever, small steps. Kindness is contagious. It sure is. And so is the coronavirus. And so is the flu. <laughs> oh, wait, no. It's courtesy is contagious. That's what they say in the subway. Interesting. Everything is contagious. As far as I'm concerned, that's why I'm wearing a hazmat suit. You know, the guy, the announcer guy on the subway? Huh? He's always like, take your backpack off. It's yeah. Like douchebag. Yeah. Courtesy is contagious. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he does say douchebag a lot. <laughs> He's rude. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for listening. And again, these are just our opinions. They do not reflect that of the network. And, they get it. And <laughs> We're we, not being a gun held to our head. No, I just want to be clear because we love Heritage and we respect them and want to make sure that, uh, you know, we don't ever get them any, any kind of hot water whatsoever. Um, all right, hasta la pasta. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>